Welcome to Just Curious Media. This is Let's Talk Movies, and I'm Jason Connell. On the show today, I'm joined by a special guest, Sal Rodriguez. Hello, Jason, and hello, movie lovers. <laughs> hello, Sal. Well, buddy, I gotta say, I think this is your fourth appearance on season one of Let's Talk Movies. Yeah, very excited and honored. And to use a popular term nowadays, I'm humbled. <laughs> You are humbled indeed. I think we started the entire show together. I had you on for An American Werewolf in London, if I'm not mistaken. And then we did The Fly. And do you remember what we did third? No, I don't remember. Wait, wait. To Live and Die in L.A. You did not do that one. <laughs> well, no, I, I just watched that movie. Terminator. I didn't do that Oh, yes. I'll be back. Hello. Yes. Oh, Sal. That's okay. So four out of 10, pretty good. The show had a few months off. As you know, we were super busy with Let's Talk Cobra Kai, and I was prepping some other shows, so unfortunately, Let's Talk Movies waited a few months, but I'm back at it to do episode nine tonight, and very soon episode 10, to complete season one. And of course, season one consists of 10 different movies from the 80s, a different movie for each year. So Sal, you can imagine there are some years that are loaded with great films, at least in my mind, and movies that are rewatchable. And if you haven't seen it, it's a chance to see it for the first time. Movies that hold up. But other years, it was different. So this year, the movie we're covering tonight is none other than American Gigolo. Came out in 1980. And Sal, I had a couple other 1980 movies on my radar, but this one out because I was always intrigued by it. It was a little over my head as a youth, but as I got older, I had a lot more appreciation for it. And I'm super excited to have you on to explore it with me. Thank you, Jason. You know, it's one thing to watch a movie as a kid. And I'll have you know, as I've said before on other podcasts, my mother took me to all kinds of R-rated movies and inappropriate movies in the 70s and 80s, and this was no exception. So in 1980, when this movie came out, I saw it. Of course, I was seven, eight years old, couldn't appreciate it too much. So seeing a movie as an adult with a different mindset, you know what? I like it. I like it a lot. In fact, it makes me want to revisit all kinds of movies from yesteryear and to see how my mind will receive them today. I love hearing that, Sal. Yeah, I knew that you may have seen this as a youth, knowing how you saw a lot of movies in the theater that you shouldn't have, but hey, that's cool. But I love hearing you say that because that is the genesis of the show. It's revisiting movies that are worthwhile, worth your time. There's so much content out there. We're overwhelmed by it, but a great movie to go back and revisit it and see it through different eyes is wonderful. Or maybe you just never saw it. And I have a lot of friends who are like, oh, American Juggle, I'm not sure that was on my radar. So it's like, you can go back now and see Los Angeles in the 80s, and it kind of blows your mind. Oh, yeah. And beautiful views along PCH. Oh, tons of them. I mean, another great movie to tell people to go see is 10. That movie is all over Los Angeles. And so I love when people go back and visit it. Had Dudley Moore and Julie Andrews, and they're up in the Hollywood Hills a lot. Or even Shampoo. That great classic movie, a lot of shots in Los Angeles. So an old movie is like a time machine. And you can go back, and especially Los Angeles, because you and I love the terrain and how much it's changed and how much hasn't. So I geek out. I'm super nostalgic. And this movie fits right into that, along with a lot of other things. And we're going to get into that. So, of course, American Gigolo 1980 was written and directed by Paul Schrader. The genre is crime, drama, mystery. I think that kind of covers it, Sal. Well, Jason, what about the uh, 
what do they call it? Cinema noir or crime noir? Yeah, film noir, yeah. This wouldn't be in that at all? Well, they don't put that as a genre on IMDb. I'm actually pulling this from there. So yeah, you don't see noir on there like LA Confidential. And, yeah, yeah. But definitely has that element to it for sure. Yeah. And again, not what I expected. I saw this movie as a kid, very young. Probably saw it in a double feature with a movie like Body Heat or something like that. Again, something inappropriate for a child. And then, yeah, I put it away. I mainly knew Richard Gere for Officer and a Gentleman. That was a big thing in our household, that movie. My mother used to swoon over Richard Gere, but it was mainly the Officer and a Gentleman Richard Gere. So it's a nice treat to explore his pre-Officer and a Gentleman work. All right. So Sal, this is where I ask you the IMDb rating for the film. Ooh, that's a tough one because this, this is more is a- controversial, this one. <laughs> okay, IMDb rating. I'm going to give it an 8.5. No, 6.3. What? Yeah, now 6.3? IMDb is a bit harsher critics, I will wow. say. Now, what about the Rotten Tomatoes? I'm not as familiar with Rotten Tomatoes as I am IMDb ratings. So what would that be, about like a 70%? Close, 68%. Okay. All right. So I think this movie checks a lot of people's boxes, and then I think it just kind of slowly flames out in a way. I wouldn't say its strongest point is its ending. It was how movies were in the 70s, and of course, this was filmed in 79, comes out in 80. Movies ended much differently. This is kind of the end of that old guard where movies would just end, like Chinatown, Midnight Cowboy, The Champ. They just kind of ended on downers. And I think this was part of that. So people would probably go back to watch it and go, oh, wow, it's amazing. But at the same time, it's not like this uplifting ending. But just my thoughts. Now, the release date, which I just mentioned 80, of course, but it came out on February 1st, 1980. So kind of that early in the year, a lot of Oscar movies do that. But just in time for Valentine's Day. Watch this (laughs) movie with the one you love or whoever's paying you to go watch it. So you saw it in the theater. I didn't see it until VHS in the 90s. you know. And then, of course, I became much more familiar in the last 15, 20 years when I would revisit the movie more often. Now... What about the budget, Sal? Okay, considering the era, considering the genre, and I know that I usually will guess under budget. So I'm going to say 10 million. No, cut that in half. 4.8. Oh, see? See, I was going to say 5 million, but because I underestimate, I went to 10. But I was going to say 5 originally, I swear to you. It's amazing you could do this movie for 4.8 in Los Angeles with these stars. Of course, not a lot of stars yet. So, and I say a lot of one big star who we're going to get into in a minute. Now, what do you think the U.S. gross was? Again, IMDb numbers, not sure how accurate it is, but the U.S. gross. I'm going to say 15 million. 22,743,674. Wow. Wow. Well, that last $4 was my mother and I. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So now the synopsis for this movie goes as such. A Los Angeles male escort who mostly caters to an older female clientele is accused of a murder which he did not commit. Yeah. What was interesting for me is watching this movie for the first time again a few weeks ago, did not know at all what the movie was about and did not even look at the (laughs) synopsis. I didn't look at the synopsis at all. Wow. Not to mention a few years ago, what we're going back about 15 years, one of my favorite comedies, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, which I believe was a parody of this movie. Sure. Or- you know, inspired by. So I kind of went into this movie thinking it would be a whole lot lighter than it was. <laughs> and it definitely took me for a ride and was nothing how I expected it to be. 
No, definitely not a light movie. Very heavy. And I want to get into Paul Schrader, but first we're going to go through the cast. And of course, we have to start with Richard Gere, who plays Julian K. Now, Richard Gere, this was definitely his star-making role, if you will. He would go on to be a multi-Golden Globe nominee as Best Actor in An Officer and a Gentleman, Pretty Woman, Chicago, and Arbitrage. And he actually won for Chicago. So, you know, hey, no Oscars, but four-time Golden Globe, one-time winner. He's no slouch sow. Also a treat to see him pairing up with Hector Elizondo again, who was in Pretty Woman with him, I believe. Way to go one step ahead of me, Sal. (laughs) Well, you know, because I'm looking at Hector Elizondo. He was bald then. Back back then he was bald. It's not like he became bald later. He's always been bald. I think he was probably bald as a teenager. Yeah, I think he probably was. Now, other memorable films that Richard Gere was in, The Cotton Club, Internal Affairs, and The Band Played On. He's always been terrific. And yeah, let's not make light of Pretty Woman. Incredible movie. So much fun. He's great in that role. An Officer and a Gentleman, I used to watch that all the time as a kid on HBO. Loved it. He embodied that role. Just a great actor, but really this launched him to stardom, absolutely for sure. And later in the trivia, we'll get into who was actually pinned to play Julian K first, but I want to save that for later. Now let's get into Lauren Hutton. Oh, yeah. She plays Michelle. And of course, Lauren Hutton was a top fashion model for Ford Modeling Agency and Revlon Cosmetics and just an icon in every way, Sal. Yeah, you know, not my style as far as like, if I think of the ideal beautiful woman, she's not really my style. I like them a little thicker. But you know what? Holy cow, is she sexy. Oh my gosh, she's so sexy in this movie. No, you're absolutely right. And they had wonderful sex appeal and it worked on every level. I'm surprised, Sal, I didn't see her in many more movies. I mean, I know she's done other things, but nothing like this media of a role. Yeah, a great role. A fantastic role. She does a really great job in this. Now that leads us to Hector Elizondo, who you briefly mentioned already, who plays Detective Sunday. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal actor. I don't remember ever seeing him give a poor performance in anything he's done. He also was a Golden Globe nomination for... Best Supporting Actor in Pretty Woman. So yes, those two teamed up, him and Gear, and teamed up well. And in this movie, their scenes were great, Sal. I know he's the detective and out to get him, but yet they had good chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. You could tell Detective Sunday has a little bit of envy in the scenes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some more roles that Mr. Elizondo was in. The Taking of Pelham 123. Taking Care of Business, Necessary Roughness, and on TV, he was well-known for being on Chicago Hope, of which I never saw, to be honest. I got to see Hector Elizondo in this Q&A at a small theater in Los Angeles. It may have been Nosotros, which is a famous Latino landmark theater. And he wanted to talk about his personal career, and that's what I was there to see. But people quickly turned it into this political thing where they Uh. wanted him to kind of comment on Latinos in Hollywood, and they kind of wanted to make the whole thing about his views on the disparaging gap between, you know, Latino roles and Anglo roles. And I could tell he had like a frustration in his face during the Q&A because he just wanted to focus on the acting itself, right. not necessarily the, the political side of Hollywood. Oh, man. That happens in Hollywood. It gets a little political sometimes, Sal. Definitely. And, you know, I feel for anybody, whether you're black or whether you're Latino, and all of a sudden you become the go-to person. Like, anytime anybody has a grievance, they want to talk to you about it. Yeah. So, next in the cast, smaller roles, but Nina Van Palant, she played Anne, 
And mm-hmm. I remember her from The Long Goodbye. I love that movie, by the way. Definitely check it out. Robert Altman movie. She has a great role in this. Does a fantastic job. Completely believe her. Yeah. And lastly, I'll mention Bill Duke, who plays Leon James. Now, oh, yeah. Bill Duke, I've always admired him and his career, but he was in movies such as Car Wash, Commando, Predator, Action Jackson, Menace to Society, and many more. He's one of the people infiltrating the desert to go after the predator. One of those guys who was all roided up, you know, in those great scenes with Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers and Jesse the Body Ventura and Shane Black. And you and I want to see Martin Cove in that company, if you will. And Bill Duke, his character in Predator, he would shave with a dry razor, right? Oh, yeah. A dry razor right. on his face. That's what I remember him from primarily is from Predator. He's also huge. Right? He dwarfs Richard Gere when they stand next to each other. It's like, oh my God, how big is Bill Duke? Well, I actually ran into Bill Duke one day, leaving the Arclight. Rest in peace, Arclight. I recently saw that they are closing their doors for good, and that makes me quite sad. But this was the Cynodome, and I was walking out, and I looked up, and I was like, that's Bill Duke. He was walking in. He wasn't that much taller than me, Sal. I mean, I'm six two and a half, but yet yeah. still taller and still looked the part. Like he just didn't age. He looked great. Well, what's the height difference? So I'm gonna guess that Richard Gere is around five ten. I bet you he's not that tall. You're probably right, Sal. I'm assuming that Richard Gere is probably in that five nine, five ten range. Well, I just looked it up. Bill Duke is six four and a half. Okay. But one thing I think about, because occasionally I'll run into an actor or see them out and about, and then I'll look them up on IMDb, I'll look at their height, and I'll usually notice that guys who are about 5'8", they make to 5'9", guys that are 5'9", they make to 5'10". Now, oftentimes, I've noticed that women who are really tall, they'll lie down, you know, instead of, if a woman's six feet, they'll call her 5'10". You know, they lie up or lie down is what they do on IMDb, I I always think. Well, I'll tell you this, they're not lying up on Bill Duke. He's 6'4". That's pretty tall. That's getting into the NBA height there. So now the crew behind this wonderful movie, Paul Schrader, of course, I said, wrote and directed this movie. Now, he had an Oscar nomination for Best Screenplay for a movie called First Reformed. Haven't seen it. He was also a Golden Globe nominee for Best Screenplay for both Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Oh, I forgot he did those, yeah. Amazing. Well, I always knew him from those two. But Taxi Driver, for sure, I've read so much about the making of and this, that, and the other, and how he didn't even want Martin Scorsese to do it. But you can start to see some parallels with this film and Taxi Driver in particular. And I'll get into some of the scenes as we break this movie down. But always been a big fan. There's just a tone that he gets so well. Some of his other films were Blue Collar, Cat People, Light of Day, Affliction, Autofocus, dark stuff. He's definitely a darker writer, director, but I appreciate it so, so much. Now, some of the producers on this movie, Jerry Bruckheimer was a producer. Go figure, Sal. Yeah, no. A younger Bruckheimer. Yeah, nice. And Freddie Fields, rest in peace, the executive producer. And let's get into the cinematographer, John Bailey, did movies like Ordinary People, Continental Divide, Cat People, also with Schrader, The Big Chill, The Pope of Greenwich Village, The Accidental Tourist, and The Anniversary Party. What an incredible collection of work. By the way, Jason, shout out for uh, Cat People. I remember, distinctly oh. remember, my mother taking me to see Cat People. The, <laughs> the highlight of my childhood was seeing a nude Natasha Kinski. 
Yes. Oh, yes. Walking through the zoo naked. Oof. Holy cow. My, I'm telling you, my young eyes have never been the same since. So Thanks. definitely love Cat Thanks, Mom. I love Schrader's pacing. I love yes. that tension that he creates. I really like that. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the soundtrack, Sal, because this movie has so much style to it, but the soundtrack is done by none other than Giorgio Moroder. And he got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Original Score, and him and Debbie Harry of Blondie also got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Original Song, Call Me, from this movie. Okay, so I know the song Call Me for sure. I didn't know that it originated in this movie. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go on and tell you this little nugget. The film's main theme song was indeed Call Me by Blondie. Debbie Harry said, when I was writing it, I pictured the opening scene of the movie, driving on the coast of California. Harry was given an instrumental rough track titled Man Machine by Giorgio Moroder and was asked to write the melody and lyrics for the song. Reportedly, this only took her a few hours to do. The song would become a massive hit and went on to be number one in both the UK and US. The track was also the number one single on Billboard magazine's end of 1980 year chart, being the highest selling single that year. Yeah. And talk about transcending the movie, because I never related that song to this movie. And yet that song is huge. It's huge. And you hear it throughout the movie, different versions. Yeah, different we'll versions. About. Yeah, there's like a sentimental version toward the end. And just the score in general, Giorgio kills it. And by the way, I've always loved his music. He did the score for Midnight Express, which is that. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it. It's just haunting. And he's so good at that. And then how I really knew his name and kind of connected lots of the dots was Daft Punk. One of their recent mm. albums, they had a song about him, like kind of an homage to him. And he's mm. on the track talking, and then they kind of sample in his work. It's like, oh my gosh. Mm. So he was laying this stuff down in the 70s. But I didn't connect Call Me to this movie until I got into this movie years later and looked that up and realized, oh my God, it was made for this. So I knew the song so well. I knew all of Blondie's tracks. And Call Me, I'm a gigolo. Hey, yeah, I get it totally on the nose. So now we're going to get into the beat-by-beat, scene-by-scene of the movie, our forensic breakdown. Sal, are you ready? I am absolutely ready. I also have my inflation calculator ready so we can talk about some of the monetary references. (laughs) Like if they mentioned 50 bucks, well, how much is 50 bucks in today's world? You know, so Yeah. Well, I need to know that, Sal. So good thinking. I need to know. All right. So we have an opening montage, and this is just style points off the charts here. And of course, we hear call me plane, which is beautiful. And we're driving. We have a classic Mercedes, the coastline, shopping, kissing a woman. This would be all in Julian's POV, by the way. He's cruising around. He's a man about town. And life is just so good, Sal. Yeah. And I'm really enjoying that convertible Mercedes. Oh, very Beautiful. nice car. I, I appreciate it more today. A similar car in Heart to Heart, the show with Robert <laughs> sure. Wagner, I believe. Oh, yeah. That two-seater convertible Mercedes, I mean, I'd love to have that today. As a kid, I didn't appreciate it as much. But today, I'm looking at that car going, holy cow, what a great car. Beautiful car. So this montage leads us to Malibu. 
and this beautiful house sale. And I had to look it up. So it's 26842 Malibu Cove Colony Drive, 90265 in Malibu. Now, Sal, that house just sold October 27th, 2020. Do you know how much it sold for? Oh. I mean, just saying it's the house from American Gigolo should have shot it up a few million. Well, if you're a movie fan, but if you don't care, then it's like, for example, they're just selling the Daniel LaRusso's house in Mm -hmm. Atlanta, right? From Cobra Kai. Right. But we don't know if the new owners care that it was on Cobra Kai. I mean, I would, you would, but who knows if they do. I'm going to throw a number out there. I'm going to say 7 million. 10.5. Oh, I was going to say 10. See, I was going to say 10, then I went to seven. I need to go with my first instinct. Well, I looked in Zillow, some of the photos, and I got to tell you, it looks the same. So they really kept it like it's pristine. Beautiful home, has that great view. But anyway, back to the movie. This house is owned by Anne, and Anne Sow is really Julian's pimp. And if I didn't say this in the beginning, Julian K., is that male escort with the older female clientele. This is what he does for a living, Sal. This is a young, very attractive Richard Gere. He fits the part perfectly. And Anne is his pimp, yeah, but more of his manager, let's just say. Not only a pimp, but I get the impression sort of a mentor, right? Sort of yeah, almost like a big sister figure almost. Yeah, exactly. I've long fascinated about how Julian became Julian. In fact, after I saw this movie just a couple years ago, even before Let's Talk Movies was a reality, I had this idea, and I remember telling some friends about it, like, you know, there should be another movie, like a prequel to American Gigolo called Becoming Julian. Because what I want to know is and see unfold is where he came from, how he got here. And yes, Anne would be part of that story because in a lot of ways, she's a mentor. But he's almost like at the pinnacle as we come in on this movie. That montage, like Julian's never been better, right? And I like the, by the bootstraps, how he became the man he is today. Now, this movie takes a very different plight. And so I was long thinking about this, Sal, for several months, like, oh my gosh, I got it in my mind. It could be a modern day version, but we're going back in time like a prequel much later, but get someone like James Franco, who's got the looks, but he's got a little bit of that edge. I thought he could do something like this. But then I saw a few months after that, that there's something in development, but I'm going to save that until the end in our trivia section. I think that'd be fantastic, but wouldn't James Franco be a little too old to portray a young Julian? Because how old is Richard Gere in this role? I'm figuring he looks like he's in his maybe mid-20s. Since it's a different time altogether, he just came to mind. Yeah, if you really wanted to go younger, maybe his brother, or maybe someone, a fresh face, if you will. Yeah. But anyway, it was just really interesting to me. Believe me, after Cobra Kai, I'm all in favor of taking movies and turning them into TV shows. Totally a yeah. fan. So at Anne's house, of course, there's a couple naked ladies laying out mm-hmm. in the sun. Looks like they also work for Anne, I would say. But you pick up on things right away, just the way they're kind of going back and forth, their dialogue. Yeah. Well, also interesting that she offers for him to go sunbathe with the girls because they would like some company, she says. And he's just like flat out, no. I mean, why would he say no to that, I'm wondering? It's all work for him, Sal. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of talk about, there's this date for later, it's a 1K. So he's making a thousand bucks 
well, that's the charge, I should say. And they do like a 50-50 split. So yeah. she brought him up, Julian, made him desirable, gets him clients, and then he'll make half of the fee for this person, whoever he's going to go on a date with. So Sal, he's getting his expenses paid and 500 bucks to go on a date. And this yeah, is and 1980. So Sal, how much is that? Okay, according to the inflation calculator, $1,000 in 1980 is the equivalent of $3,214 in 2021 money. So cut that in half. $1,600. $1,600. And he's going out with a lady. Yeah, yeah. Not bad money. Okay, sign me up. Then Anne asked him if he's working on his Swedish lessons. Yeah, because this is like next level escorting, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to be well-mannered. You got to be well-dressed. This isn't like a hit it and quit it type of escorting. No. I mean, you got to be sophisticated here to earn this kind of money. Well, I think that particular payout is much more, which we'll get into later. But yeah, you got to put on a whole new persona. You have to learn a new language. Yeah, that's the big times. That's the big times. Julian's been groomed for that. I'd have to do like a 15-minute stand-up act. I'd have to like, what can I bring to the table? Like, here we go. How's everybody doing tonight? Bring your toys. <laughs> I'll bring my whole toy collection. That'll impress her. So now we have the instrumental Call Me going, which is beautiful. And we go to the Westwood Hotel slash apartments, which Sal, I'm sad to say, was demolished in 1987. Oh, do you know if the interior is also the same place? I believe it is. Very authentic. And Sal, this place looks awesome. You get a great look at the pool, the courtyard. Yeah. This just looks like so vintage Hollywood. What's well, a giant single, you know, the, sometimes I calculate, if you're looking for a place, people always think of square footage. I would rather have a giant single than like, you know, a one bedroom. I mean, this is like a giant single is what he's got. It's yeah, like not a, a one bedroom. Yeah, yeah. It's a giant, it's a huge studio. I like his place. Well, it's so 80s too. He's got wall-to-wall carpeting, a sunken room, art mm. stacked everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. Sal, he's got those classic gravity boots. I'm loving those things. And by the way, just so we're clear, those are referenced in the Deuce Bigelow male gigolo movie. I can say this, I'm very confident in my masculinity and sexuality, but when I see this movie today, I think, oh, now I get it why he's a sex symbol. <laughs> now I understand. I yeah. didn't understand as a kid, but now I'm like, okay, now I get it. Richard Gere is a total sex symbol. I'm on board now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think he was like 30 years old when they filmed this movie, so... And I like the exercises that he was doing because he's hanging, but then he's like lifting weights against gravity. Yeah. So yeah, I was digging the workout too. So while he works out and works on Swedish, no less, he gets a phone call and it's Leon. And Leon played by Bill Duke. We don't see him. We just hear him on the phone and yeah. he's got a gig for him in Palm Springs. So not only does he have Anne, manager, mentor, et cetera, et cetera, he's got some side gigs going on. Yeah. Well, you know, when he last visited Anne in the previous scene, he's kind of like, too, dude, right? Too cool for school now. Yeah. Kind of tired of what he's doing. It's a little too easy. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. And that's why I want to see five years prior, 10 years yeah, prior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's kind of like burned out as an American gigolo. Yeah. But at the same time, one thing I did like is that he didn't have necessarily a struggle with the morality of it. Like he didn't- No. Yeah. No, he was like- this was his job, you know, and he was totally cool with it. And I wanted to get into more about that later. But so now we see Julian and he's a chauffeur. So I guess he has a chauffeur's license and he's really in a limo and he's driving an older woman, Mrs. Dobrin, played by Carol Cook. 
I do recall her, Sal, from 16 Candles. Wow. The John Hughes movie. She played mm-hmm. one of the grandmothers. Mm. And he's driving her to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Now, Sal, you've been in Los Angeles longer than I, having been born and raised here. But I love the Beverly Hills Hotel. Just the look of it. I've actually yeah. been to the bar a couple of times and had drinks there. Felt big time, if you will. But sure. have you been there before? I have it confused with the Beverly Hilton. I have been to the Beverly Hilton, I think on Santa Monica. But no, I have not been to the Beverly Hills Hotel, no. But you've passed it. It's just so iconic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Probably passed by on the bus in years past. So Julian shares he had once been a pool boy at the particular hotel because he goes there and takes Miss Dobrin to her room. And now you get to see Julian at work and even at work with someone who's much, much older than him. But they don't cross lines, but there's a lot of sexual tension. Okay. And this scene is where I start to see him put on his act for the client, right? He's kind of playing almost like a naive young guy here. He's not being himself, his true self in this scene. He's not being true Julian. He's playing a role in this scene. Oh, yeah. And she's playing along with it. And then later, he's actually talking to Anne, and he mentions, oh, yeah, she liked the pool boy bit. So that was just a line, a line, part of the facade, part of what the client wants and told Anne. So I also like the fact that we don't have to see everything. In fact, we saw nothing, but we knew what had happened. We could read between the lines. Well, a very subtle line when she says, pour me a glass, and then you can put the bottle down. So- I think we kind of assume what's going to happen next. Oh, yeah. So when Jillian's making that phone call in the next scene, he's at a restaurant, and I'm loving this lighting, Sal. It's like a lounge. It's just so cool. It's like this reddish kind of something like Kubrick would come up with. Yeah. And they knew him there. As soon as he walked in, he he and the maitre d' greet one another, and then he greases the palm of the maitre d' real quick. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, is that really necessary? He hasn't done anything yet, but he just probably slips him a 10 as soon as he walks in. Yep. And then you could kind of see that he's just finished his job, but now he's just being Julian and he can't help himself. He's going to kind of flirt with people. He looks over, there's three women having drinks and talking and he's Mm -hmm. looking at them. But then Sal, he spots Michelle, played by Lauren Hutton. Jason, in this scene right before he approaches Michelle, is he literally prospecting? I got the feeling he was like actually prospecting as a salesman would in this scene. I mean, I guess you could do that. Or he's attracted to her genuinely. And obviously, he has all the confidence in the world, Sal. Well, especially walking up speaking French, was it? Yes. Holy cow. Okay, you got to hand it to him. I couldn't do that. I cannot break out a foreign tongue to an attractive woman in a bar. Forget it. And what does he order, Sal? A Manhattan, yes? Dry Manhattan on the rocks. Yes, 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 yes. I'd like one. I would like to try that. So, again, even if he's wrong, Sal, even if he goes to Michelle and a man shows up, what's Julian got to lose, right? He's suave. He's got the looks. He's got the charm, the charisma. He's got it all. Well, he's not perfect, but he looks perfect, right? And so, even if he's wrong or she's married, it doesn't really matter because he's just having a good time. And this is his home court. Let's not forget. This is a restaurant where he knows everybody. He's greasing palms right then and there. But this conversation is interesting, though, because me as an audience, as a viewer, I'm not sure what's going on. No. And in this scene with the two of them is where I really started to fall in love with the Paul Schrader pacing. Oh, yes. Because it's so slow and the camera just settles on somebody's face. You'll see their reaction. 
I'm just loving this tension. I love that teasing tension that Schrader creates where I'm just like salivating. I want to know what the hell is happening here and where is this going to go? So true. We do learn that she's married here and she knows what he's after and Sal, he's out. Yeah, which was strange to me because he has no commissions to pay anyone this time. He doesn't have to pay Anne anything. He doesn't have to pay Leon any commission. This is all his right here for the taking. This is where I was a little confused about what his motives were here. But she didn't put the sign out that she wanted to be a customer, I guess. Mm -hmm. So now we cut to another driving montage, and this one is to Palm Springs with another instrumental Call Me playing. Sal, I love, I love, I love the drive to Palm Springs. (laughs) So much fun. I've just always loved that drive. Next time I do it, I have to have a convertible. Yeah. And you know what's so beautiful about these drives is that there's no traffic. (laughs) Never. You know, for those of you who are not familiar with the Los Angeles or SoCal landscape, once upon a time... Back in the 70s and 80s, there was a rush hour, but it was just that. As long as you avoid the roads between, let's say, 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. in the morning and between, let's say, 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. in the evening, as long as you avoided those times, you were free and clear to go anywhere you wanted at a speedy pace. So when I see these movies here, oh boy, they're just flowing along. Oh, what a beautiful ride. Absolutely beautiful. Yes. And when he arrives, he's at 2389 Yosemite Drive, Palm Springs, 92264. Beautiful house. But Sal, things turn dark very quickly. Yeah, definitely. And we get to hear the big C word in one of these scenes, yeah. Yeah, we are greeted by Mr. Ryman, kind of a creepy Mr. Ryman, who wants to watch Julian be with his wife. And the house is like something out of a museum. He's dressed very Palm Springs-esque with the colorful outfit on, but having his drink. And he's got a weird sense about him. I don't really trust this guy ever, Sal. Well, and that's why I believe Julian refused to drink. Yeah. Did you notice that, right? Yeah. Julian, he's a drinker. He drinks alcohol. But no, he refused to drink. I wouldn't want to take a drink from this guy either. No. This guy just doesn't want to see a man with his wife. Because you see Julian's approach. Julian's approach is very soft, sweet, and tender, right? This guy wanted none of that. He wanted to see his wife abused, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Very kinky trick. So we see Julian's approach. It's very pro. He's done this hundreds of times. And he's probably dealt with creeps like this before, like Mr. Ryman. But we don't see anything more than that, which is interesting. So now we've seen him with two tricks, Sal. Both times we don't see it. We see him pass up on a threesome with two hot younger women. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting when we finally do see sex, it's with the same person, which is more about this relationship that emerges. Yeah. See, that's why as I'm watching this movie, a few scenes, I wasn't certain what Julian's motives were. I was still kind of trying to figure him out as far as what is he really after. But I guess we see. So now Julian meets Leon, Leon James, Bill Duke's character, and pays him his fee for the job in Palm Springs. And Sal, he apparently, Leon shares the fact that he was a hit in Palm Springs, but mm-hmm. he doesn't do repeats. Interesting. Yeah. Well, he said they get too possessive, I think he said. Yeah. And I could see that. I'm sure Julian has a few repeats in his list, but maybe not the creepy ones. Yeah. Who knows where that would go? And then he mentions this Swedish job. Did you get the amount? No. 8K. An $8,000 job in the works, Sal. 
go to your calculator. $8,000 in 1980 is $25,716 in 2021. So cut that in half, just over 12500 per yeah, person. Yeah. Not a bad job at all for the time frame. So that's the job that he's put in the work, learning Swedish. But anyway, while they're having this conversation, Sal, there's this slow-mo shot of these girls who are kind of, one of the girls is looking at Julian. And this reminds me so much of the diner scene from Taxi Driver, where there's this slow-mo pan, you see these pimps, and the pimps are looking at Travis Bickle. Well, again, written by Paul Schrader, this had that same kind of tone to it. Just that moment, if you recall, it's like this panning shot. You see them. It's like Jillian's eyes are seeing that kind of happen. It just connected me to Taxi Driver. And again, I know Schrader was at play there. And I love those little moments. Well, you also get to see that when Julian has a seat somewhere to have a chat with somebody, women notice him. Oh, yeah. Women pay attention to him. So, But it's during those moments when he kind of flirts back where I'm wondering, well, is he just flirting to flirt? Is he trying to prospect? Is he trying to get an actual legitimate date? Like, what is he actually doing? Is he just practicing his flirtation skills? That's where I'm a little confused as far as what are his motives when he sits down and he kind of flirts with women around him and they flirt back. What's the point of that? Well, I think flirting also makes people feel good. And he really is in touch with trying to make others feel good, which he shares later in his mm -hmm. conversations with Michelle. Yeah. Sure. And I don't think he needs to prospect. I think that Anne and others have that covered for him. And I think he's also searching for love, mm. yeah, which we find out. You know what? Yeah. I don't want to give away the ending, but in the end, I think this is a love story. Yeah. As screwed up as it is, yeah. it actually does turn into one. And before this scene ends, Leon actually warns Julian saying that, hey, you know, Anne or your manager, whomever doesn't have your best interest, they'll cut you. So kind of weird that, who's Leon? But he's warning Jillian. So I'm not sure yeah. how much he buys into that, but that's in play. I'm really liking Leon's character too. I just love seeing him because I love Predator so much. To see him in this role, I was just like loving watching him in this role. Oh, yeah. So now we're back at Julian's and of course, this is a great sequence. He gets a little Coke on his finger. Yes. And yes. then he gets into this whole wardrobe montage mm -hmm. with a great song by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. The Love I Saw in You is Just a Mirage. Now, what a mm -hmm. fitting title in this movie. But yeah, he's putting his ties down. This is Jillian at his best, man. He's yeah, like, oh yeah. yeah, I got this yeah. outfit. I'm going to look like the money in this. And, mm -hmm. But he's very self-aware, Sal, yeah. Yeah, a bit of yeah. a narcissist in these scenes because yeah. he's paid to be the man and it's going to yeah. go to your head. And this is where, in this scene in particular, he's laying out the clothes, he's singing. He gave yeah. himself a little Coke on the gums yep. and he appears content and happy setting up his wardrobe. There's no conflict in him at this moment. No. In fact, right now, this scene, before what happens next, might be him at his best. And then things change. Yeah. What's that old expression? Pride cometh before the fall. <laughs> well, then he gets a call from the desk because this is how it works at this Wilshire apartment. The calls run through the front desk. The front yeah. desk calls you. And it's old-timey phone, which is great. Mm -hmm. And it's Michelle. Yeah. And she has tracked him down, Sal, to do what? Yeah, pretty ballsy. She shows up at his door. 
And what, is she trying to solicit his services? That's what she's trying to do. She wants to sleep with him. Yeah. Well, she's pretty bold. She doesn't even say that. She drops the F-bomb. Yeah. She must have talked to someone at the restaurant, got his information, and this is how it worked. He didn't mm. give her a cell phone number or anything, but yeah. I'm sure he's a man about town and she found out who he was. Now, we don't know her backstory yet, but we're going to get no, to that. No. By the way, Jason, I'm thinking about that Mater D. She probably greased the Mater's D's oh, palms yeah. a little better than Julian can, so he's probably spilled his guts as far as where to find Julian. Not that he's going to keep it a secret. Here's a beautiful woman. She wants to know where Julian is. Yeah, here's his information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's trying to keep a low profile on that front. And it's not the first time. And slip me a uh, $5 bill, which in today's dollars would be $16. <laughs> hey, not bad. Not bad. Now it's morning and there's a steady cam shot of the apartment. And I love this, Sal. And Julian is working the phone while Michelle yes. sleeps. Holy cow. And she was totally cool with this. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, she showed up unexpectedly. In fact, oh he was going somewhere, canceled his plans to mm-hmm. be with her. So he's now talking to one of his clients. And this must have been pre-sex lines because he gets pretty <laughs> yeah. dirty there. Yeah, yeah. But then he puts her on hold, whoever he's talking to, I'm assuming it's a her, orders breakfast, then yeah. jumps back over, sets a date for 5 p.m. This yeah. guy is so suave. And then Michelle shares the fact that being with Julian was like really making love. Oh, yeah. She's a lonely wife, a beautiful, lonely woman. And this is what Julian is great at. He definitely knows how to treat a woman. Yeah, he does. He's got the skills to pay the bills. Hello. Now we're at Sotheby Park, Burnett, Los Angeles. And Sotheby's known for their auctions, right? Yeah, famous auction house, yes. And Jillian is helping a client, Lisa Williams, played by Kay Callen, who was in shows like Dallas, Coach, and a movie recently called Knives Out. Oh, yeah, great, I saw Great that. actress. Yeah, she's yeah, phenomenal yeah. in it. But he's got a really great eye, Sal. Well, he might as well go on Prices Right, right? Because he, yeah, he's great. he knows the value of stuff. He says 4500 would be a great deal, 5000 too much. Maybe they'll get 5500 he knows what he's doing in that environment. This goes back to me wanting to see how he became who he is. I'd love to see Anne working with the raw Julian who didn't even know how to do the place settings properly, mm-hmm. right? The whole bit. In fact, I doubt his name was Julian. That's probably yeah. like a borrowed name or a middle true. name. He was probably like Larry or something yeah, plain and yeah. vanilla. But no, she true. took him in and she just turned him into this guy because he was on fire. And then I love the little gag they play on the other woman who comes over as if he's like a gay designer. Like a clumsy gay designer. Very clumsy. Who, yeah, he's knocking kinda, stuff over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he helps her to get out of the situation because she doesn't want to interact with this lady. I don't think she's too fond of her. So he right. plays the role puts on this little charade, practically knocks over a lamp, and then they're able to skedaddle out of there. So he was able to save her from this woman that she didn't want to interact with. Yeah, and they get out there and they crack up. So you can also see that he has clients where he just does these things with. Maybe he sleeps with her as well, but Mm. he entertains them. He can go be this guy. He's very well skilled, very well versed. And so I wonder what other things he does with clients. So this shows you that with this client in particular, he can unleash a lot of humor. And she likes it. Whereas later on, with another client, probably doesn't want to have that much humor. 
And you meet her husband in particular. We do meet Lisa Williams' mm, husband, and he yes, doesn't yes, seem yes. to have any humor. So yeah, Jillian comes in and plays a nice role in her life. Almost like your gay bestie, right? Sure. But yeah. he can just be, oh yeah, you're with Jillian today. Well, they're paying him, but he can put that on. He can be that guy. He can be that confidant that some people are missing. I think what I've gathered is that if you're a woman and you want to see an escort, you kind of have to bring them into your world a little bit and they got to kind of play a role which justifies you hanging out with them. Right. Otherwise, they're like, well, why are you hanging out with that dude? Oh, he's my interior designer. Oh, he helps right. me bid on vases at Sotheby's. You have to have some excuse to hang out with this guy. Otherwise, people are going to talk. Yeah. Now we cut to Jillian, who's reading the paper, Poolside. Mm -hmm. And the headline, Sal, wife of local financier slain in Palm Springs home, yeah. Judy Ryman. Yeah. Oh, and then while he reads this, and you could just see that he's focused on this and can't believe what he's seeing, sure. Michelle arrives. Yeah, he's reading the paper. She comes up. Yeah, he's kind of wrapped up into the article at first, right? Because yeah. she comes up and he's still kind of wrapped up in this article. Do you think at this moment he knows that this is not going to be good for him? Well, yeah, he's going to have to answer questions he knows. Now, Sal, did you think at any point in time that he committed the murder? No, I did not think that. It would have thrown me for a loop, of course, but no, I, I didn't think that. I'm thinking that, yeah, he's just was in the wrong place at the wrong time type of thing. Yeah. I feel the same way. I never felt that Jillian did it, but yet he's in shock. There's Michelle. Here's a nice distraction because this leads to this artistic sex scene, to say the least. They went through the Kama Sutra. This looked really passionate. This was lovemaking. This wasn't just... Any of us grown adults who have had different sexual scenarios, there's a, what's the term the kids use today? Smash. I'll smash it. This was not a smash. This was absolute lovemaking, which I prefer. Yeah. No, there's some really cool shots in here too. I mean, Schrader does an amazing job with the camera. It looks like sometimes they're in different positions. I, it almost looks like they're upside down, but then the hands, like Julian's hands are shaking. Like there's some interesting mm -hmm. tricks going on. Yeah. Very cool. And then we go on to see a naked Julian. This is yeah. naked Richard Gere for the ladies out there mm -hmm. and some of the men. Not an aroused Jillian, but yet this nope. scene, he's just kind of by the window taking this in. And I remember reading that nudity wasn't even in the script, but it just kind of became natural in the scene and just worked and they went with it. But in this scene, Sal, you really understand what motivates Jillian. He almost yeah. believes what he's doing is some sort of noble profession. Well, yeah. I mean, he's standing there looking out of the window, kind of contemplative. You learn about him. One of the reasons why he's so okay with what he does is because he really does think he's doing something good. He said yeah. he helped a woman have an orgasm, hasn't had an orgasm in 10 years. It took him three hours, but he was able to do it. So in his mind, he is doing the Lord's work. Right. And he also really prefers older women. He thinks younger women are just easy. They'll get off on anything. He prefers the challenge and also all that comes with it. The older women are neglected or forgotten, and he wants to, like you said, do the Lord's work. So really interesting scene. And at the same time, you could see Michelle at this point in time is beginning to have feelings for Julian. Yeah. Big mistake at this point, at this juncture. Big mistake. You don't fall in love with a prostitute. You don't do it. And she's doing it. Yeah. Well, Richard Gere did do it in Pretty Woman. Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about a, a role reversal. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So now we're at the police station, and Mr. Ryman is being questioned by Detective Sunday. So now we get to meet him for the first time, of course, Hector Elizondo. And real interesting, one question, though, on this, Sal, is the fact that this is Palm Springs, right? And so I wasn't sure why Mr. Ryman was meeting with Detective Sunday in Los Angeles. Well, the crime occurred in Palm Springs, which would be out of the Los Angeles County or city jurisdiction. And yet Detective Sunday is a detective with the LAPD. So I think it's just that the crime occurred in Palm Springs, but obviously the prime suspect lives in Los Angeles. Right. Now, I do know later, and we'll get into this, there's another police officer, Lieutenant Curtis, who is from Palm Springs. So they kind of tied it that way because they needed Jillian being kind of chased, followed, pursued by a local, which is Detective Sunday. So that was kind of the way they brought this other guy in, but we'll get into that. But I found that interesting, but it was probably a story device, which was needed. Then we cut to Jillian's apartment and Sunday meets him in the lobby. Jillian is actually flirting with the staff, which is great, by the way. But- There he is, kind of doing his rounds. You know, detectives do. They're trying to figure things out. And they go for a walk, and they visit Me and Me Diner. Now, Sal, have you ever been to a Me and Me Diner? Absolutely. Fact, I have. It's awesome. (laughs) Absolutely. When I was a kid, my mother and I were in an elevator. I never forget. And a woman was eating a pita in an elevator. And I thought about this recently, I swear to you. Why the hell was a woman eating a pita (laughs) in the elevator? She couldn't wait, Sal. She couldn't wait. She couldn't wait. So my mother looked over, she said to the woman, what is that you're eating? I'll never forget, she said, falafel. And my mother said, where did you get that? And the woman said, me and me. And it was within a matter of weeks, my mother and I were at me and me. And then me and me, I believe they had a location on Fairfax near Melrose, yeah, near the silent movie theater. My mother and I would at least once a month catch the bus and go to me and me on Fairfax. So absolutely remember and love me uh. and me. So, yeah, I even like the fact that Jillian's like, hey, I'm going to walk to Westwood. So, he lives just right there because he lives in the Westwood Hotel slash apartments. And I like the scene while we're at the me and me. You have such realism. And this goes back to Paul Schrader. And I saw this in Taxi Driver as well because that movie really captured New York. Well, this movie's really capturing Los Angeles. You have that couple fighting in the scene, Sal, that Detective Sunday keeps looking over. And of course, they have like tab on their table, which is great. He really knows how to kind of create that environment, which I just, I love. I am absolutely telling you the truth. Just last night on my street here in North Hollywood, a couple was fighting last night. (laughs) Just last night, a couple was fighting. And now here we are in the movie representing Los Angeles. I don't know. A lot of couples fight in Los Angeles. Not a bad place to start a fight. No. So now Jillian gives Detective Sunday an alibi who is Mrs. Williams. Mm. Mrs. Williams is from the silent auction, his accomplice. That's who he says he was with the night that Mrs. Ryman was murdered. Now, Sunday makes it clear that he doesn't want to revoke his chauffeur's license or book him on drugs. He just wants information. Yeah. Also, Julian has to kind of just allude to what he does. Right. Exactly. Right? He, he doesn't come out and say it, but he doesn't flat out deny it. He 
kind of tiptoes around what he does for work. True. Well, he knows he's a chauffeur. He also knows he lives at this Westwood apartment hotel. He knows how he dresses. So Sunday's a detective. I think he can read between the lines. He doesn't think he's a killer at this point in time. Not yet. Absolutely not. But you know, it's one of those things where, so you can pal around with your chauffeur, or you can pal around with your Sotheby's auction buddy. Yeah. Only till like maybe seven, eight o'clock, right? Exactly. Because people will be like, well, what the hell are you doing hanging out with him at 10 p.m.? You know, it becomes a whole different thing. So you can say, yeah, I was sure he was chauffeuring me around until seven, eight o'clock. And then it has to end there. Yeah. You can't go past that because people become too suspicious. So I was trying to piece this together, Sal, because at first when Leon called and he was working out, and then all of a sudden he's going to meet Miss Dobrin and did the whole pool boy bit at the Beverly Hills Hotel, right? Yeah. I thought that was a night because later that night, I guess it could have been the next night, he goes to Palm Springs, right? Because that happened at night and that's when he meets Michelle. And then he goes to Palm Springs. So are we led to believe Palm Springs was the next night? That's where it starts to get hazy. Yeah. And then Miss Williams was the next day. So yeah, it was like, they just weren't clear on day and night. So I thought, wow, which alibi? Because I thought, just use Miss Dobrin as your alibi. But I guess that was a day sooner. Yeah. And who knows how many dates escorts have in a day? You know, they may have two or three. I mean, exactly. if you're a guy, I don't know how much you can perform in one day, but hey, yeah, you're there Julie. you go. <laughs> You're young Julian, you hang by your feet. Yeah, exactly. So now we're at a California Democratic banquet. And this becomes our political play in the movie. Now, again, to tie it back to Taxi Driver yet again, there is a political element to that movie as well because Sybil Shepherd is working for someone running for mayor or governor in that movie. Albert Brooks works there. And of course, De Niro starts to follow her. Well, this is that element in this movie. And we see Charles Stratton. I believe he's a senator. Yeah, that's great. And he's played by Brian Davies. And Julian's on another date, sound, this time with Miss Laudner, played by Francis Bergen. And this time, he's just accompanying an older woman to this event. So this is what he does, Sal. He just piles around town. Sometimes it's sleeping with them. Other times, it's eye candy on their arm. So at this event, though, Sal, to tie it all back around to this big universe, our small universe, who do we run into? Yeah, Julian did not expect this. But as they're doing a meet and greet at the end of the evening, Senator Stratton's wife, is Michelle. Oh, my And God. Julian and Michelle come face to face at the meet and greet. Neither were expecting this. No. Very interesting. And Stratton immediately recognizes Julian as a gigolo. Yeah. He whispers to Michelle, you know what that guy is. And Laudner, Miss Laudner, shares the fact that Michelle is very unhappy. Yeah. So a little gossip happening here at the end. Yeah, because Julian wants to know all about Michelle, and she's got the scoop. I mean, this is a high society woman he's with who knows people, Sal. She knows senators. Okay, so right here in this moment is where I figure out, because he asks his date about the senator and his wife, about their marriage. He wants to yep. know. This is where I realize, oh, Julian caught the feelings. Yeah. And if he had another side to him, if Julian was deeper in a lot of ways... 
there's a political play here. He's slept with a senator's wife. Yep. There could be some gain there, monetary gain, power, position, but that's not in his DNA. In fact, no. he doesn't even lean into that as he gets in trouble. I don't know if he's that bright and he's just kind of a simple guy. Like you said earlier, he's very content. Yeah. You know, he's got a good life, got a good thing going. Sure, he gets a little rough around the edges to Anne sometimes. He gives her a little bit of crap because he's just doing this job and she's his employer. But yeah, he's not looking like 10 steps ahead. Yeah, he's not necessarily looking for the jackpot. No. So now Julian walks Westwood. And I love this scene because he's just walking around, but you can see Michelle. She's actually following him. And yeah. he visits, of all places, what? A classic record store. Uh, Talk about a blast from the past. I mean, geez, what a wonderful place. You don't see these music stores anymore. You, no, you know? there was like two stories, you know, when you go in and you go up the next level and oh, there was, yeah. he's picking up vinyl. Well, it's sure. no surprise. He sensed Michelle was there. Yeah. And of course... They catch up and they decide to go get a drink and talk and uh, bond. Yeah. Well, he realized that she was following him because I do think that Julian has some street smarts, right? Oh, absolutely. He's aware. That's Being aware of your surroundings, being aware of a person over there, that's street smarts. Because you know what? Most people are not aware of that sort of thing. Believe me, if somebody's following me, I'm going to know it. Which is why I think he had a rough beginning. I think he probably came from nothing. Probably had his street smarts, and then here's a really good-looking kid that she could mold, that being Anne, and turn him into this powerhouse, because I do believe he always had that. Well, since we're talking, being a hyper-aware adult, I think, comes from a traumatic childhood of possibly growing up in the home of an alcoholic, where you have to be aware of the energy of the home. You have to be aware of the emotions of your parent. Yeah, that's where that comes from. So whenever I meet an adult who's like very aware of situations and environments, my antenna goes up. I'm like, ah, yeah, they probably had a tense childhood, probably. I believe Julian was raised in a brothel. He could have been, like a Richard Pryor, right? Yeah. So now we see Julian and he's getting a shoe shine. And of course, this time he's being followed by Detective Sunday. Yeah, I like the Detective Sunday character. I do too. Because he does a little bit of that Columbo. He's not going to let you know how smart he really is. He's going to make you think he's not as smart as he really is. I love that tactic. Right. And Jillian's giving him crap, at least one of the first times they met about his attire, because, yeah. you know, look how Jillian dresses and look how Detective Sunday dresses. And you're right. He's got that whole Columbo thing going on. He, he's got his notepad. He's writing down. He's like, oh, yeah, and another thing. Yeah, Very yeah. Columbo. Well, he's here to inform Jillian that Mrs. Williams did confirm the alibi, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, only till, what, 7 p.m., right? Right, so an earlier time. So now Julian admits to handcuffing Miss Ryman, but then Sunday shares some pretty disturbing photos now. Yeah, very disturbing photo, and we get a reaction, a strong reaction from Julian. We learn that he handcuffed her when they had their play date, right? Yeah. But then later on, she was handcuffed again. So they realized that she had been handcuffed twice, one time with Julian and then another time at her murder. Yeah. Well, while this was going on, while he was talking to Detective Sunday, the police were at Julian's apartment and classic scene in a movie, Sal, when they come in and search the place, they leave it a mess. 
Yeah. It's not like when a movie crew films at your place, and then when they leave, <laughs> everything looks the same, you know, a pro movie crew. No, no, they left the place in shambles. And this is where I also thought, did Detective Sunday kind of stall, intentionally stall oh, I think Julian? So. He did. Yeah. Okay, so he stalled Julian while his colleagues were ransacking Julian's apartment, yeah. Yeah, it always disturbs me when I see a beautiful place just get turned upside down like this. So yeah. Julian comes in and he just calls for the maid service because you have that convenience when you live where he does. Yeah. And now Julian visits Anne, back to Malibu that is, and mm -hmm. Anne's son, Timmy, is there. Interesting yeah. that Timmy happened to be there and she doesn't usually meet with people when he's around, but yeah. Julian's a little... Um, you know, he's stressed out. This is all new stuff for him. But Sal, I love the fact that Anne is reading this magazine. I couldn't help but look at it. It just yes. said Eureka on it. So yeah. I'm thinking, is that Eureka, like Humboldt County? And But then I read the title, and I don't know if you caught this, but it was New West. Well, is that the one that said Teen Idols, right? The article that Anne was reading when he arrives was something like Teen Idols. Well, that was inside the magazine. I just meant the outside. Oh, okay. The reason I was fixating on the article on the inside was because it says Teen Idols. I thought maybe she's prospecting for her new, <laughs> you know, she's looking for a new lineup of guys to replace Julian. Or just to add to the Rolodex. Yeah. So, no, New West was the actual magazine. I'm talking about the cover. I did see the inside as well, but New West. So I thought, wow, what is that? Yeah. So I looked it up because it was a beautiful cover. And what I found out about New West magazine is this. It was New York Magazine's short-lived sister publication. And it ran for a while. It probably ended in the 70s, 80s. But yeah, it was like New York Magazine, but it was the LA version. And there was all these great articles. And this was one of them. She was reading this hot new mag at the time. I would love to find the old publication somehow. Maybe they're on eBay or something. Yeah. Or, or find a picture of it on Pinterest. Yes. And I like the way Julian grabs Timmy's ball and just tosses it like he's yeah. playing fetch with a puppy or something. Just, yeah, go, he grabs Timmy. the ball. Yeah, get over there. Get over there. Get out of here. Well, then they go down and walk to the water and catch up. And he shares the fact that he thinks he's being framed. So Anne thinks, what, Sal? You know what? I found this very touching because she says, did you do it? And he kind of paused for one second. So I was wondering, why is he pausing instead of just saying, hell no, I didn't do it? Yeah, exactly. Was he surprised that she would even ask him that question? But then she comes back with, it doesn't matter. In other words, I'm still here for you, yeah. whether you did it or not, which I thought, well, that's very touching. She's on his side right now. Yeah. I was just shocked that she thought he did it. But yeah, she's going to be there for him no matter what. So she really is his parental unit. I mean, where are Julian's parents? Does he have siblings? I mean, it really ends his world. It's yeah. all we know. And then she reminds him that this Swedish client is coming in on Thursday. So that's still in yeah. play, of course. Yeah. And I think she says she has a sexual idiosyncrasies, which could mean anything. <laughs> so now we're at Julian's and he's practicing his Swedish with Michelle. And so he's cleaned up the apartment thanks to the maid service that came yes. in. But this gets romantic. But then what happens? Well, I got to hand it to Michelle here. Not only does she fall in love with a prostitute, she is <laughs> literally helping him prep for his clients. I mean, this is next level. Yes. However, Michelle doesn't want to make love because yeah. she starts to feel it's just work. For Julian. Mm -hmm. She'll kiss him, she'll hug him, she'll hang out with him, she'll prep him for another date. Yeah. But it starts to make her feel cheap. 
Yeah. Well, I guess it would be like if you dated a porn star, you know? Maybe if your porn star spouse comes home, maybe you don't want to have sex with them. Maybe you just want to watch a movie with them, right? Because if they have sex with you, they're going back to work again. So, yeah. kind of a parallel there. You know, you if you date somebody who's a sex worker, do you want to have sex with them every night? I don't know. Well, Julian then starts to share about the setup slash murder, and he doesn't have too many people to confide in. So, it's Anne and Michelle. And yeah. so, yeah. and she's a good listener. Yeah. There is a moment later on where it occurs to me that he is alone. I mean, yes, he has Anne on the side. Yes, he has Michelle on the side. But they're kind of kept at a distance. Like, he doesn't have any good buddies. Like, when we talk about on Cobra Kai, like, does Daniel have any good male buddies? No. Johnny. Oh, yeah. Well, now, not earlier. But yeah, he's in a hell of a mess and has, like, no good buddies, no father, no brother, nobody. No, he doesn't. And Leon, well, we'll learn more about Leon later. We will see about Leon, yeah. So now we're at the police station, and there's a lineup with Julian. And this scene, Sal, is straight out of the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. It's that classic lineup scene, but done in a different way. Like, I hadn't seen this done in any other movie until the usual suspects, where the people in the lineup are conversating and doing jokes and lots of stuff going on. It's a great scene. Yeah. I didn't understand what Julian's deal was with telling the guy like, yeah, you're getting paid 50 bucks, I'm getting paid 50 bucks, or $15 rather. He was trying to get them to react and lose their cool and take the emphasis off of him. Oh, he was trying to deflect is what he was trying to do. Yeah. So if he got one guy stirred up, he's going to push the other guy. And then, yeah, so he was just trying to talk to who was near him to throw them off the scent. But great sequence. Jason, $15 in 2021 money is only $48. I was going to say $45, $48. You were close. So now Detective Sunday has some new threads on Sal, and he's very proud of them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) He shows Julian, hey, look at me. It's funny, like your prime suspect is your fashion coordinator now. Pretty funny. Yeah. He introduces Lieutenant Curtis from Palm Springs, thus connecting that dot. Why yes, is this yes. whole thing being investigated by these two outfits? And that makes sense. Now, let me just say, Lieutenant Curtis is played by David Cryer. Yeah. He was in Escape from Alcatraz, one of my favorite movies. Yep. And he is also John Cryer's father. Wow. The cool. actor, the 80s actor, if you will. Oh, yeah. I ran into John Cryer just a few miles from here at the Ralph's Market. That's right. Um, going, tell me going, that story. Yeah, going back about 10 years, ran into John Cryer, and he's quite pleasant, quite a pleasant chap. Yeah, of course, he was Ducky from Pretty in Pink. He was also in Morgan Stewart Coming Home. He was also in No Small Affair with Demi Moore. And I actually read his autobiography a mm. few years ago, so I'm a big fan as well. I just thought, when I saw his last name, David Cryer, I thought, no way. <laughs> Looked it up. Oh, of course. Yeah. So It's not a common name, especially C-R-Y. Yeah, right? exactly. C-R-Y-E-R. So they share the fact that Julian has been spotted by someone else, saw him at the scene of the crime, mm, yeah. and Mrs. Ryman's fingerprints were at Julian's mm, when they yeah. ransacked his place with a warrant. Not good for Julian. Now, Sal, at this point in time, has this changed how you feel about him and his innocence? Well, obviously, since all the signs are pointed to him having done it, he obviously didn't do it because it's, it, right. it wouldn't be that simple. So, no, I'm still thinking he's 
Innocent. I am absolutely thinking he's innocent up until this point. Even after the beach scene with Anne where she said, did you do it? And he kind of hesitated for a second. Yeah. Because I kind of wonder, well, why did he hesitate? If somebody asks you, did you kill someone? Your answer is no, no, I did not do it. But he hesitated. But even after that, I still think he's innocent. I do too. Julian also mentioned that he read that there were jewels that were missing. And he's like, hey, you didn't find the jewels? Like, come on, what's going on? Of course I didn't do it. And Julian has a lawyer there played by... Peter Turgeon, rest in peace, he suggests this whole thing's a setup. And I know what you and I both think, Sal, but what does Detective Sunday think at this point in time? Julian asks him, do you think I did it? And Detective Sunday says, I think you're guilty of sin. Yeah. Weren't those his exact words? I think you're guilty of sin. Yeah. And I was surprised to hear that, actually. I kind of thought that, you know, he's going through the motions to investigate, as any detective should, but I didn't think that he really thought that he did it. But yeah, he says that he thinks he did it. And he also says he's not going to book him right now. And the lieutenant, Lieutenant Curtis, says, yeah, you might do more good to us if you're still on the streets, because if you didn't do it, maybe we can find out more information. But Sal, if I'm Julian and his lawyer, I'm like, polygraph me. Let's just do this. I have nothing to hide. Guess I didn't come into play in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to say, here's my wrist, arrest me. You know, that's... A difficult thing to say, but yeah, I would probably say you're on a fight to prove your innocence. Yeah. So now Jillian visits Mrs. Williams, Lisa, about the alibi. Yeah, this is where he walks up to that humongous oh, yeah. house. And you notice he kind of just walks straight up, kind of jumping over like a fountain or something. Like he doesn't take the little stairs on the side. No. He's like, boom, forward, straight up. And this house has those huge columns, like a very imposing oh, house. Very much. And Miss Williams is like, whoa, hey, she's kind of taken back that he's there, but the cops had come by because they had inquired about the alibi, which she agreed to, she admitted to, just the timeline, she didn't. And you could tell that she was just put off by the whole thing. But then, of course, this brings Mr. Williams into play. Yeah. He comes to the door and backs up his wife. Yeah. He wasn't happy. He knows Julian's line because he's pushing for a later time, which she was not with Julian then. And the actor was played by Richard Durr, rest in peace, but he does a great job. And this is back to that guy that we said's no fun. (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot of laughs out of Mr. Williams. No, but okay. So in this scene, do we assume that he knows the relationship that his wife has with Julian? Or does he just think this is the bungly interior designer? You know, I think he might understand the role that he plays with his wife and maybe doesn't want to know too much. But then just the fact that the cops had to come there, he's crossed every line. And his wife's probably said to him, no, 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 he only helps me with this. So Mm -hmm. I think he wants to believe his wife in in all respects. And we don't even know if Jillian actually sleeps with Lisa. We have no idea. And if you notice the way he'll kiss some of these women, he kind of goes in for a side maybe like a little bit of the top of the neck, bottom of the cheek, kind of an interesting, no intimacy, give him a little bit of affection, but not you know too much. I kind of yeah. like that. In the very beginning of the movie, the first woman he's with goes in for that side cheek and then just runs off. Yeah. And uh, these people are very wealthy. Mr. Williams plays no games. He doesn't want cops coming, poking around, finding out what his wife's up to. So he's offended. And I'm surprised he didn't even go after Julian in this scene. Yeah. You mean like make threats physically and so forth? or make a threat or like, well, yeah, yeah, he's a pretty big guy, that husband. I mean, he's older, but he's a big guy. Big guy. And he's just pissed. So yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of what's going on there. 
So now Julian is back to walking Westwood, which he does quite often. And Sal, I love this sequence because it's kind of like this paranoid feel. And we're walking down the street and we're seeing like a hamburger hamlet, which is awesome. And then, of yep. course, we see a warrior's poster. And there's another one coming up as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. And there's a cool tracking shot. But while this is going on, then what happens? Well, Julian realizes that he's being followed. Yeah. His and paranoia he, is real. It's that old thing. Just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean someone's not following me. Right? <laughs> so he ducks into the movie theater area, right? Underneath the marquee, right in front of the Warriors poster. Yeah. And yeah, he grabs this guy. And this guy's behavior was really odd. I guess this guy figured, well, I can't try to fight back. <laughs> right. Right. I got no fight game, right? But you think he would have tried to run? Like, that's my, my mind goes. It's fight or flight. I'm going to fight this guy or I'm going to run. I'm not just going to stand here and take this. But this guy just stood there while he's being roughed up by Julian. Yeah. It's pretty funny. The character's name is Floyd Wicker, and he works for Senator Stratton, of course. That's what Julian gets out of him. He knew he was being followed, and now he knows it's Senator Stratton's following him or having him followed. Yeah. Now, the actor, Sal is Robert Reitman. And now he may or may not look familiar to you. He does. He looks a little familiar to me. He does, actually. Okay. Because he was on the TV show, The Waltons. Okay. And on The Waltons, he played John Boy Walton from 1979 to 81. When I looked it up, I thought, wow, he doesn't look like John Boy. Well, because Richard Thomas played John Boy Walton from 72 to 78, and he's the John Boy that I knew all along. So I guess they wrote him off the show, or he left for whatever reason, and Robert Reitman took over the role for those few years. And no relationship to Ivan Reitman? No, it's spelled differently. Okay. Yeah. No, I did see, I caught the Waltons a little bit as a kid, but when I did see this guy, I did think he looked familiar. Either he reminded me of a present day actor, or maybe I did remember him from something, but he definitely had a familiarity to him. And this interaction I thought was so hilarious because this guy just kind of lets Julian grabs his wallet. He writes his phone number on the guy's forehead. He writes his phone number. So I want to talk to you about that as well, because this is before the days of 555. Yes. So he writes 636 Dash 1636. Now, Sal, is that 310? Is that what that would be? Well, again, to those unfamiliar with the landscape or the era, once upon a time, most or all of Los Angeles was 213. A 213. But whatever it was, Sal, whatever that area code was, do you think this number was getting blasted (laughs) all the time, like 8675309, Jenny's number? Absolutely. No, and I remember the dawn of 818, and I remember the dawn of 310. Okay. And once upon a time, 310 area code was like, ooh, 310. And like, I knew people who would change their area code to 310 to be more upscale, you know, to be on the West side. So now Julian meets with Stratton because he tells this young chap, Floyd, that if the senator wants to talk to me, he can meet me. So he kind of sets up a meeting. Mm -hmm. That's why I wrote his phone number on his forehead. Oh, wait, how about this, Jason? How about this? He writes the phone number, he shoes him off, and then he slips. Yeah, exactly. I don't exactly. think that was written into the script. I no, think that was no, accidental. No, no. It's a great and they left slip. that in. Oh, it's great. Yeah. The kid has a really great innocence about him too. I yes, really like yeah. it. And so anyway, he's meeting with Stratton mm-hmm. and he's convinced he's using his wife, Michelle, in this whole sequence. And so, as you and I both know, we've already discussed, he's not. Stratton, yeah. he's a politician. He sees angles. He sees people's motives as you're always sure. looking for. But he doesn't understand that Jillian's heart is pure with the love for his wife. But then he offers him a payoff. He goes, how much 
He for does. For you to not see my wife, right? Yeah, $5,000. And so that's when Stratton's like, yeah, yeah, see? But then Jillian was just saying that. He's like, I don't need your money. I don't want your money. You couldn't give me enough money to not see your wife. So he's like, oh, wow. So here's a guy he can't reason with. By the way, $5,000 in 2021 money is now just over $16,000. Wow. Okay. But I got to hand it to him. He says, I'll give you 5000 Again, in today's money, Joe Silver, 16000 If somebody offered you $16,000 to stop seeing somebody you just started seeing, uh, I mean, I'm give me a few minutes to think about it. Jillian's going to make half of $8,000 for the Swedish lady very soon. He's got a good gig and he may have finally found love, Sal. So he doesn't want Stratton's money, yeah. but he is tired of being followed. And he's got this whole murder rap over here. So if I'm Julian, I start to leverage my relationship with Michelle to get Charles Stratton to get involved to then maybe get these charges dropped. But Julian doesn't think that way. He's yeah. not thinking outside the box. It's frustrating because I want to see him get out of this, and he definitely has this at his disposal. But then Stratton goes on to basically threaten Julian. He alludes to Julian having a thing going here, right? He calls him a hangers-on. You're a hanger-on yeah. into this environment. He's like, but I can turn all these people against you. You'll have to go hang on to some other crowd. So he kind of threatens Julian with just getting him booted out of the sphere of influence, as they call it. Now, you don't think that Senator Stratton had any tie-ins to Mr. Ryman, do you? At this point, no. I hadn't thought about that, but no. Okay. Well, it's been too long, so now we have another instrumental call me, which I love. <laughs> it was like and number three here? It, yeah, at least. So Jillian drives to a place called Sorrel. It's a really cool looking sign. He's going looking for Leon. He asks his kid out front, but he says, oh no, he's over at Probe, another place. So he drives to Probe, great yeah. name. Yeah. And we get inside, Sal. And this reminds me so much of the Blue Oyster Club from Police Academy. Yes, yes, yes. And you go in, it's like village people yeah. everywhere. Not a woman in sight, nope. and that's Leon's hangout. And there are also some guys that are snorting. Is that what they used to call poppers? They're like snorting some like little canister on the dance floor. That's cocaine. Well, because I thought he had like a little canister. But yeah, I guess they were doing hits of coke on the blow. dance floor. Yeah. yeah, they're doing some blow. But this reminded me of when I was an extra in Wayne's World 2. <laughs> and in Wayne's World 2, there's a scene where Wayne and Garth are running. I forgot what they're running from, but they run into a gay club and then run through and then they get locked into this gay club. Yeah. And so I was in a scene like that and they had us dressed like this. It was still during that era where you're wearing the leather. Like that's yeah. not the look today. Like if you were to go to a gay club in West Hollywood or even San Francisco today, you're not going to necessarily see that look. But no. that was the go-to look of that era, I believe. Did you bring your own chaps to that set? Well, no. You know what they allowed me to wear was this was when overalls were really big. This was the Belle Biv DeVoe oh, era. Yeah. So they let me wear overalls without a shirt. That's what I wore Ooh. in that scene. I still haven't seen the movie, so maybe I'll see myself with my overalls. I'll check that movie out. Wayne's World 2, look for me in the gay bar scene. I saw that movie in the theater, but I didn't know you yet, so <laughs> dang it. All right, so now Julian is there to get what from Leon? He wants an alibi, and I thought it was interesting that he would approach Leon for that, like, he has those kind of connections, you know, because you basically would have to get somebody to lie for you. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I, okay. Well, so I guess that Julian thinks that he can provide an alibi for him. Well, he'll give him an alibi, but Leon does say to Julian, to do so, he wants him to do a trick. And not just any trick, Sal, but a gay trick. Yeah. 
And I, I guess if you hang on to some words here and there, you're realizing that Julian has done this before, but yeah. he's not too keen on it and doesn't want to get involved with it again. Yeah, younger Jillian used to definitely go both sides or he used to train new guys for Leon when he was coming up, probably before he found his niche in this older woman, sophisticated world. So now we're at Jillian's and he surveys his art as Michelle arrives. And Sal, do you think he was considering just for one minute about a fire sale and fleeing? Because the way he's holding that piece of art, I was like, what's he thinking about? When he was holding that piece of art, it's an interesting moment because it's kind of like, how can you look at art at a time like this, you know? But I think that he was trying to just get into his own daily normalcy. Hmm. Like he was just trying to be himself in his apartment and maybe like leave the troubles of the world outside the door for the evening and just get into his belongings like I would do with my toy collection. He was just looking at his art. He's thinking about, whoa, what goes with what? I think he was just being normal Julian at home in that present moment. All right, I'll go with it. Although I saw a little bit differently, but whatever. So Michelle's there, they take a walk, and she shares what? She shares that she's going to leave for two months to where? Italy? Yeah, she's going to go away with Senator Stratton on this getaway for a while. She cares about him. She can't wait to come back and see him. But this is the worst time for Julian to be alone. Yeah, well, because his solitary support system is leaving, and she says that she has to do it. It's her duty to her husband's campaigns, if you will. And so, yeah, she's going to head out. Sal, it did not take Senator Stratton long to come up with a plan to ship Michelle away for two months. Yeah, almost the equivalent of sending your kid off to boarding school if they misbehave. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. So now Julian goes to park in his garage, which is weird because he was just at his apartment. So I'm guessing more time passed and he went mm-hmm. for a drive and he's coming home. But as he comes in the garage, Sal, what does he see? Yeah, he pulls into his parking space. And he looks over and he sees this young, good-looking guy with like, Jigolo. you know, yeah, he had the hair. There's that little moment where Julian sees the guy. Obviously, there's a probably about a five-year age gap there easily. And then he kind of does his own hair, like he kind of flips yeah. his own hair. Yep. You know, so like, even though he's young, he's not young compared to this guy. Oh, he's probably like eight, 10 years older than this kid. Okay. So when you're in your late 20s, let's say. Somebody in their late teens is really young. Yeah. And of course, this feeds Julian's paranoia. And he rushes to his apartment because last time he had a bad feeling they had ransacked the place, but this isn't the cops. And he comes in, Sal, and this scene is just, it's intense. He begins to destroy his entire apartment looking for planted evidence with this great, intense score playing And I just love this sequence. Although at the same time, it pains me to watch. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of a mix of, yes, he's looking for something that could have been planted, but he's also kind of just ransacking his, like Rizzi grabs a stereo, rips it down, he's knocking over vases. He's not just searching. He's angrily messing up his own place. Yeah, no coming back from this. So now Julian goes to the car. And it's been compromised because he can kind of see something was put on the side of it. So he's thinking, oh my God, it's got to be in here. And this kind of reminds me of a great movie, The Conversation, Francis Ford Coppola, when Gene Hackman begins to lose it and he's looking for something and he destroys everything as well. But you never know if he's going to find what he's looking for. And I felt the Mm -hmm. same thing for Julian in this scene. However, Sal... I mean, he's taken the doors apart, but then this leads to what? 
Well, then he decides to now go under. So he goes underneath the car. And he's like in oil, like he's rolling around in oil <laughs> underneath the car. But then he reaches in and he pulls out a bag of jewelry. He did. So he was he right. found the jewels. He was right. Yeah. His paranoia paid off. But they weren't there on the way in, mm-hmm. but they were there when he was in. Or maybe they were always in the car and he hadn't thought to look there before. So yeah. Yeah. who knows? Well, this leads to his car can no longer be driven. And now Julian visits a Hertz, which is off of Wilshire. And Sal, what kind of car does Julian have to rent? Well, this is a car after my own heart because my first car was indeed a Ford Pinto. So he goes to rent a Ford Pinto on Wilshire from the Hertz. Pintos have a special place in my heart. Absolutely. My first car, man. Great. You do not want to be hit in the back of a Pinto. Apparently, there was some bolt, and that bolt was right near the gas tank. Yeah, and it would blow up. Yeah, that's what they said. I mean, you know, when I had that car, I was like 15, so you're immortal, right? But I never thought about that until years later. I was like, oh, I guess I was driving a death mobile. I didn't realize it at the time. (laughs) Oh, man. So now Michelle talks with Jill, who is a staff member over at the Westwood Hotel apartment, and kind of got the skinny on things. So now we hear the instrumental version of Call Me, and Julian is now not driving the really cool Mercedes for most of the movie. He is now in this Ford Pinto, still Julian, but not as cool. He pulls up to a church, and immediately when I was watching this, I recognized this church. Where was Not it? from going to the church, but it is located off Selma and Las Palmas. Yeah. Now, my old office was off Selma and Las Palmas, and it was right behind this church. My office was Crossroads of the World. Yes. You'd been there before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, as he drives off, because he's trying to get directions or look for somebody, you see Crossroads of the World. So it's a great sequence, just kind of a, a really cool moment for me. Now, let me just put a bigger bow on this now. Yeah. That same church... I spotted it one day when I was watching Pretty Woman about 15 years ago, let's just say, and the ending of Pretty Woman came on, and I thought, whoa, that looks kind of familiar, that church in the distance there. I saw it in the distance because in that movie, Julia Roberts lived in the Las Palmas apartments, Mm. which were on the other side of Hollywood. And I would pass it if I decided to walk to work that day. I would walk from the Hollywood Hills and walk down like a mile, walk on Las Palmas, pass the Las Palmas apartments. And in the distance, like another half mile or quarter mile, you could see the church because it's big and Las Palmas just kind of runs into it. And then there's Selma. And I noticed in the end of that movie, Richard Gere pulls up in the white limo and goes and rescues Julia Roberts. And they have that great scene. What are the odds of this (laughs) iconic movie before that? There's our Richard Gere just driving in the same vicinity, just passing Las Palmas right by the church. But you don't think then Pretty Woman gave a tip of the hat to American Gigolo? You don't think it was one of those things? I don't know if it did or didn't. I just thought that was pretty interesting. Very neat. I always assume when it comes to movie making, there's nothing accidental. Wherever they are is intentional. Wherever they're driving is intentional. 
So when I see a situation like that, I'm, I'm assuming that was intentionally done and it was an homage. Well, either way, I'm glad I connected the dots. And yeah. it even was connected to me because I'd spent so much time at the office and always walked around and saw that church. And yeah. it's just very iconic. And, yeah. and there you have it. So a small detour for everybody, but I hope it was worth the ride. So now Jillian calls Anne on the payphone and he asks her to meet him at Peroni's. And that's the restaurant with the cool lighting, the red lighting, where he's greasing the palms and met Michelle. So then he calls Jill at the Westwood Hotel, and she tells him that Michelle's looking for him because they take messages for him, and that's, yeah. they have a whole calling service. So he passes the same message to her as well, meet him at the restaurant. But while he's there, Sal, and he's looking across the street, there's California Overseas Bank. Great name, by the way, of a bank, and they went out of business a long time ago. But what else do we see? He sees Leon and Mr. Ryman together. What are these Hello. two doing together? Yeah, yeah. So this is where he realizes, oh no, the people that set me up, the people that are trying to frame me are people that I indeed know, namely Leon, who at least, obviously you didn't think Leon was a saint, but you're not going to think that he's going to try to frame him for murder, but that's what he's exactly trying to do. Yeah, you're right, Sal. That's when you knew it. Yeah, you saw Leon. He sees Leon, maybe going to the bank, whatever. But then you see this Rolls Royce pull up and there's Mr. Ryman. So, Sal, getting to motive, Leon did get him the job. So, he put this in motion. But I don't understand the upside. I don't understand what this setup even means. I know it's not really talked about in this movie. But so, Leon gets Julian to do the job, and then Mr. Ryman is kinky, or did things just go south at a different time and they pinned it on Julian? I know it comes up later. There's a scene where he quickly talks about it, but I'm just a little foggy on some of these details. At this point, I'm assuming that Ryman wanted his wife dead and involved Leon in the murder itself or the cover-up. Yeah. And Leon, of course, is getting paid for this. Yeah, I was even unsure if that was really Mr. Ryman's wife. I mean, she was a much younger woman. She was timid and scared. At that scene, I thought, is that even really his wife? Is this whole thing a mirage? But it's not like he's trying to get her money. One of those classic things, right? Mm, Where Mr. Ryman stands to inherit all this money. It looks like he's a guy who just had money, it looked like. So, Yeah. yeah. All right. So maybe that's what's at play. But anyway... Now Julian knows like he really was set up and my next call would be to Detective Sunday, but it's not. He's going to Peroni's to meet with Anne and Michelle separately. So while there, Julian is meeting with Anne and she drops on him that the Swedish client, Miss Favtra, has arrived, but Julian wasn't there to pick her up. And Anne is pissed. Yeah. I think this is the wash her hands of Julian moment. Yeah. And she said, very matter-of-factly, I don't care what happens to you anymore. And, you know, I guess you can kind of understand where she's coming from by this point in time, because she was, if anything, kind of pleading with him along the way to, you know, get back on board with her, be part of the family again. And he's like, yeah, yeah, again, thinking he's too cool for school. And now she's officially done with him as he's drinking his straight bourbon. And when have we ever seen Julian drink a straight bourbon? That must mean he's really stressed out. Yeah, I'm surprised Anne didn't bring some of this up on the phone call, because if Miss Foftra was just left high and dry, he thinks she'd be livid. But anyway, he's got a lot on his plate, and then he spots Michelle. And they go to the restroom to talk. And what happens? 
Well, this is where, you know, sort of the come to Jesus moment for Michelle, where Julian asks her point blank, they're face to face, do you think I did it? And she says no. Yeah. And he has a moment of relief because obviously he thinks at this point, everybody just thinks he's a murderer now at this point. I think a sigh of relief overcomes him and he realizes, wow, here's a person who actually believes in me and cares for me. But he also knows he shouldn't hang on, right? Because even though that's a sense of relief for him, he knows he can't hang on to this woman, right? But then as he's leaving the restroom, I could have sworn he said, I never loved you. Yeah, he's trying to like push he's her trying away. Trying to push her away. Because yeah. he knows yeah. he's going down the wrong direction because yeah. she also shares the fact that her husband spoke with the DA and they found the murder weapon and they're going to arrest him. Oh my gosh. So that's at play. Yeah. And he knows, like, I'm a sinking ship. Yeah. You know, I never loved you, knowing she knows he doesn't mean it. He's a man who is losing his grip, he's losing everything. And she's the only person that believes in him. So yeah, push her away. You know, it's one of those things where you don't want to bring people down with you. I can respect that. If you're going downhill, you don't need to drag people down with you. So he knows at this point he's in a heap of trouble. You might want to distance yourself from me. Yeah. So now Julian is driving in the Ford Pinto and cops appear. Oh, yeah. And you think, oh, this is it. They've got him. They've already run the plate. And they pass him, which was unexpected. Yes. And then there's daybreak. And so Julian must have driven all night. He's not safe at home. He's a hunted man at this Mm -hmm. point in time. And he sees Leon across the street again, and this time with a young gigolo who looks very similar to the one from the parking garage at Julian's house. And they pull up in separate cars and Julian gets out with the jewels. Now, Sal, did you have any idea where we were at this scene? No, but I definitely recognize the boy, as they call him, drive up in the brown Porsche. At this point, we see it all coming together. So this guy, this young blonde guy, planted the jewels in the bottom of Julian's car, and now that same blonde boy meeting up with Leon. Yeah, so we were at Leon's apartment. I wasn't sure exactly where we were at this time, because Leon's all over the place. He's at the bank, he's with Mr. Ryman and a Rolls, and now yeah. he's at home. So so that's where we're at, and it's this really nice pad, and not as cool as Julian's, mind you, but yeah. nice nonetheless. But higher. And much higher. Yeah. High rise. And Julian enters. So Leon tells him he's still working on the alibi because like we talked about earlier, it takes a while to put that together. And you know, you got to vouch for somebody. Now there's a murder rap. The DA is after him. But then the truth comes out, Sal. Well, this is one of those scenes where the villain confesses to the victim, right? Or one of the victims. He kind of lets the cat out of the bag. Yeah. He's got nothing to lose. Yeah. So he thinks. But this was an interesting moment because this is where we learned that It wasn't personal. He wasn't framing Julian for personal reasons necessarily. He said, why am I framing you? Because you were frameable. Yeah. And this is one of those wrong place at the wrong time. You know, he was just a sitting duck for a scam like this. It was easy. He never liked him. Mm -hmm. And then Julian begins to kind of guess what happened. Did the young gigolo, the kid killed Judy Ryman because Mm -hmm. things went too far one night? Like, is that what happened? He hired Julian one night, and then he didn't want to go back for a repeat performance, so the kid went and got in over his head, and he killed her by mistake, and then they pinned it on Julian because why ruin this kid's life? I mean, it could have been something like that. 
Was Julian onto something there? Do you feel like that's plausible? No, I don't think the death was accidental. Because if it were just an you accidental don't. death, no, I think that that's why uh, Ryman was trying to cover the whole thing up and then pin it on Julian. Because it wasn't an accidental death. I think this guy wanted his wife dead. Leon was involved in it. The young blonde guy was involved in it. And then they get to frame Julian for the whole thing. No, I, I don't think the death was accidental at all. I don't think so. Okay. And again, I still don't know Mr. Ryman's upside. If it was not accidental, that guy likes things to that degree of kink. Is it that? Is it like a snuff film that drives him to that level? Or he always wanted his wife oft and then if you're gonna do that you're gonna work with guys like leon and this young gigolo guys who aren't that trustworthy i mean it doesn't sound like the greatest plan but i'll buy it and unfortunately julian hasn't made a lot of friends as we've talked about he's only got michelle now and's more of a manager and a mentor but he hasn't built true friendships yeah no, but you know what? I've seen enough cold case and enough forensic files to know that as crazy as Ryman's plan is, people do things like that. Yeah. People will want their spouse killed and will go solicit a hitman, and we've all seen yeah. that. They're on tape soliciting a hitman. Yeah, people want their spouses dead instead of just divorcing them, which I think is a crazy concept. Yeah. While this is going on, Leon is still too cool for school. He's this huge man, as we talked about earlier, six, four and a half. He's sitting in a chair. He just looks ginormous. He gets up. He opens the glass door to go to the patio overlooking Los Angeles. And Julian is just getting more and more worked up. He's just so pissed that Leon could turn on him. And yeah, He's provoked him. He says things like he never liked him. He's an easy target. But this leads to what, Sal? He was a football player, maybe, uh, in high school, high school football. Because he goes in for what looks like a tackle. I mean, he rushes Leon, pushing him back over the balcony. Now Leon is hanging by his legs, and Julian has him by his boots. Over this yes. balcony, they got to be at least 10 stories up at least. And I wouldn't say that Julian charged him to push him over the balcony. He just charged him because that's where he was. Mm. He charged him because he was pissed. He's a bigger man. He's going to run into him and you yeah. know they'll probably have it out. I don't think he saw 10 steps ahead where he thought, oh, I'll just push him over the balcony. I don't know what you felt about that. Okay. When Leon is hanging and Julian has him literally by the boots, Julian says, don't fall. Like It would appear to the casual observer that he does not want Leon to fall and is trying to save him. Yeah. I thought he was faking it. Yeah, he doesn't care if Leon dies. Leon's trying to frame him for murder. Why would he care? Well, he's the only person that knows the truth. And if you could get the truth out of Leon, that's his alibi because he didn't do it. And not to mention, this actually makes Julian a murderer. But that's why I think that when he had him by the boots... And he had to put on a show, don't fall, don't fall, so any observers will see that this was not an intentional kill. But I think that when he actually had him upside down, and he's hanging there, he was totally okay with him falling. I think it was one of those classic scenes where he had the good angel and the bad angel yeah, yeah. on his shoulder. <laughs> and I think that part of him thought, he just admitted the truth, if I could somehow get that on tape, mm -hmm. or admit this to somebody or somehow get something, someone makes a mistake in their story, I'm free. I think that's bigger than his revenge on Leon. In fact, the minute he saw that Leon's dead, he's like, oh my God, he's going to take that to his grave and I killed him. Yeah. So I don't think it was intentional. But sometimes you do something out of rage and then you try to reel it back and it was one of those instances. 
And it's interesting because when he lands, too, the young boy's driving away. Yeah. So he also mm-hmm. saw kind of that happen and probably pieced it together like, well, of course, it was Julian. He just came in the apartment. He threw Leon overboard. So Yeah, but what do you do when you're that blonde kid and you see essentially your boss just got killed? Right to the cops. Oh, is that where you think he was going to go? Well, I'm not sure where he I went. think he was just trying to escape his potential death. If somebody kills your boss, you're like, well, I'm next, right? So I'm out of here. Exactly. So now it's not good. This is the low point for Julian. He's just committed murder. And he also found out just moments prior that the whole thing was a setup. So his whole life is just kind of unraveled during this movie. And so now Julian is brought into jail with publicity everywhere, press everywhere, big story. Mm -hmm. Judy Ryman was slain by this prostitute. He also killed this other guy across town. Like, this is a big story, Sal. And so he comes in and Detective Sunday is sitting with Lieutenant Curtis and Julian's lawyer. And what does Julian say? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. There's nothing he can say, Sal. So he chooses to say nothing at all. Detective Sunday's like, I knew it. (laughs) This guy, I knew it all along. I just wish I'd put you away sooner is what he says, because then maybe we would have Leon still alive. So there's a lot of quick cuts here. So now we're still in jail, but this is that classic visit from Michelle where you have the glass and the phones and she wants to talk to him, and she wants to help him. Are you pleased with your lawyer? And, and again, Sal, he says nothing. Until we get to this next scene, where we see Julian's lawyer and Michelle's lawyer. She went ahead and lawyered up for him. Yeah. Now, this can't make Charles Stratton very happy, no. but she's getting her lawyer involved, and his played by William Dozer, rest in peace. He was on the original TV show of Batman and the Green Hornet, and they want to help him, Sal, even if it hurts Stratton's reputation. Not just Mr. Stratton, but also Michelle's reputation. Well, you know, is it better that a politician's career goes down the tubes or that an innocent man goes to prison? You know, yeah. those are the options. So, what else do we learn here? Well, they're letting him off the hook for Leon's death. They're focused on the Ryman killing. It's like, talk about just kind of brushing it aside, but he will not be charged for Leon's death. Because a maid saw Julian trying to save Leon and they dropped those charges. Yeah. Okay. So, this is why, doesn't it look good? publicly that you're holding this guy and pleading for him not to fall. <laughs> then people can say, hey, I saw him trying to save the guy, right? The maid says, oh, no, he was trying to save him. I like to think that he got some joy out of killing Leon. You know, I like to think that instead of it just being completely accidental. Well, it was really early in the morning. There wasn't a lot of people around, if anybody around. So I, he was lucky that a maid spotted him. So I think that, yes, part of him is happy that Leon got what he deserved. The other part of me, the bigger part of me, thinks that that was not what he wanted. It wasn't in his best interest. But he lucked out here because that's one charge dropped. Yeah. But when Jillian learns this, again, he says nothing. And then... We see Michelle, and she goes to meet Lieutenant Curtis Mm. at his office, and she tells him what? She's willing to be the alibi that he's been wanting all along, and she's willing to say publicly that she was with Julian. He couldn't have killed this woman. She was with him. Oh, boy. She's willing to just risk it all, everything. And this is where you see, ah, this is a love story after all. Yeah. 
Yeah, it took us a while, but she was steady in her path, I got to say. She loved him right away. It's always been missing. Whatever love her and Charles Stratton had, it's probably more platonic now, or they're just an old couple. She doesn't have those feelings that she has for Jillian, and Jillian for her. Yeah. So now in jail, back in jail, in those glass room with the phones where you meet the convicts, Michelle visits Jillian, and she shares what she's done. An amazing moment, yeah? She's willing to throw everything aside in the name of love. She's not just willing to say, I was with this guy, but she's lying, right? She wasn't really with him that night. So she's lying about being his alibi. So that becomes a double favor. One is to admit you were with him. The other is to lie and say that you were with him. So she's absolutely risking everything because of her love for him. Absolutely amazing. It's amazing. And yeah, earlier in the movie, I think she even said, wasn't I with you that night? And he's like, no, I wish you were. Yes, Because yes, it, yes. they missed it by like a night. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a great moment. And he just kind of surrenders to her in this scene. Very sweet, because she puts her hand up on the glass. Yep. And then he kind of rests his head. And we realize all through the movie, I'm like, what is he looking for? What does he want? He seems content being a gigolo, but what does he really want? He wants love, right? Isn't that, at the end of the day, supposedly what we all want is we want to love, we want to be loved, we want to give and receive love. And then it's almost like he collapses onto the glass into her hand. Very sweet and tender moment. So we see that they have the true bond and the true love at that present moment. Absolutely fantastic moment. Yeah, I think he says something to the effect of like, he's been waiting for this all along. And and here it is. Yeah. And he's collapsed into her arms through the glass. And so are we led to believe, Sal, that... He's quickly released from jail. All charges are dropped. Detective Sunday's pissed. But is that what we're led to believe? As the viewer, I was led to believe this was a happy ending. He will be exonerated. Now, what's to become of them as a couple? I guess they're going to be together. I think we have to assume they're going to be together. They are in love. He gets out of custody. And we assume she's going to get divorced. I don't assume that Stratton's political career is over. You know, he can probably go along, get a second wife. But as far as these two together, I believe we are at the pinnacle where we say this is a love story. And I believe it is a happy ending. And by the way, I like happy endings a lot. I really do. Imagine the press, the tabloids now. I mean, this was already a big story. Now it's like, new headline. (laughs) Senator Charles Stratton's wife, Michelle, is alibi for a killer, Julian Kay. It would be a huge story. And it may really hurt Senator Stratton's chances, Sal. But then again, Michelle's doing nothing illegal. And is he going to close the whole town to him? Oh, but who knows? Who cares? Love will prevail, but he's got to get a new line of work. (laughs) I do like these movies that showcase what people are willing to do in the name of love. Like I think of Hair. Remember the movie Hair? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, based on the musical, but in the movie that I saw, the guy goes to Vietnam in place of the other guy. I mean, when people are willing to sacrifice themselves financially and physically, literally, in the name of love, in the name of friendship for someone else... Oh, that touches me so much. So good. Yeah, now you're right. Uh, Beautiful film, wonderful work, Paul Schrader, Richard Gere, Lauren Hutton, everybody else. Loved it so much. In fact, I really enjoyed the viewing for notes because I just kind of took my time. This movie has that pacing, so I slowed it down and really just took in scene by scene because... Like I said earlier, it's like a time warp for me to go back and see Los Angeles in 1979 when they filmed this and just appreciate it all over again. And just the movie has style and the score is beautiful. Not just Call Me, but the score in general. It's just gorgeous throughout. 
And yeah, it's a very artistic. It's got so many layers to it, Sal. I'm just such a fan more now than ever before of this movie. Yeah, me too. I mean, if you were to say to me, hey, Sal, you want to watch a movie about a gigolo who's charged with murder? I'm going to be like, nah, it's not really my thing, right? But you know what? No, I really liked it. I really loved the pacing. I loved seeing a young Richard Gere, again, prior to Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah. Lauren Hutton, again, not my type, quote unquote, but so sexy and gorgeous. I like this movie a lot. I really did like it a lot. So now for some trivia. Just a few little nuggets, tidbits for you and the audience. So John Travolta was originally cast as Julian Kay, but reportedly one of the reasons he turned the film down was because he wanted final cut approval and director Paul Schrader would not give it to him. And what I know about Paul Schrader, Sal, you would never get that from him, yeah. especially an actor. Wow. But Travolta allegedly kept the Armani suits especially tailor-made for him in oh. the film. Okay, so they were already set for production and everything. Yeah, exactly. I even read that Christopher wow. Reeve was also offered the role wow. prior to this. So, But this movie was one of at least four films that Gear has done after Travolta had turned them down. The others being Chicago 2002, Days of Heaven 1978, and An Officer and a Gentleman 1982. Wow. You know what? I'm in good company because there's been a lot of projects I've worked on where I was not the number one choice. In fact, there was one video I did where I was like number three. But you know what? I'm proud to say I think I did a good job and everyone was pleased. So it's interesting. You know, you think, oh, well, you want to be the first choice. You want to be the first draft pick, right? But no, it may not. You may be part of the cleanup crew and everything turns out great. And I could have seen John Travolta doing this role. Yeah, he could have done it. Yeah. But I love who it is because we've grown accustomed to Richard Gere being in it, but he's wonderful in it. But yeah, Travolta was a good choice and things didn't work out, but thank goodness it wow. went this way. So this film is widely credited to having established clothes designer Giorgio Armani in Hollywood since the Italian designer's clothes are featured prominently in Gillian Kay's wardrobe. So I guess that was all Armani's. Wow. Nice. I like the look, too, because when he's putting out the suits and the shirts and the oh, ties, yeah. like- Such a great sequence. It was classy, but not flashy. Like, it wasn't right. flashy apparel, but real classy, nice, matching, coordinated. I did like the looks that he was putting together. Yeah. So, a couple more. The make and model of the sports car that Jillian K. drove was a 1980 two-door black convertible 450SL R107 Mercedes-Benz Coupe. And the license plate was CA. 963-O-R-E. Beautiful car. You think O-R-E means something like iron ore? I just think it was rando <laughs> California okay. license okay. plate. Well, how about this? Wasn't that car diesel? Uh, it could have been. I'm thinking maybe. I mean, I know that there were a lot of Mercedes models from that era that were diesel. I don't know if that one was. But but yeah, no, I love that car. I'm, I'm a big fan of two-seater convertibles. I have an SUV now, but I really, really like two-seater convertibles a lot. Yeah, these have always been my favorite type of classic car. So love it. Love it in various colors. It's just such a badass car. Now, lastly, on my list of things, I'm putting this in here because this really piggybacks off of what I said earlier about how I was fascinated by this idea of becoming Julian and this whole prequel to this. Yes, yes. So what I read was there's no prequel in the works, but yeah. this is what I read and this is actually in production. So- there's currently a modern-day TV adaptation of the iconic film in production. Julian Kay is introduced 
18 years after he's been arrested for murder and struggling to find his footing in the Los Angeles sex industry while seeking the truth about the setup that sent him to prison all those years ago and also hoping to reconnect with Michelle, his one true love. Wow. That's a lot to digest there. That's assuming that he was in prison longer, and then now he's still trying to learn about the setup. So that's just a little brief synopsis that I read on IMDb. I don't know if I buy some of that because you and I tend to think that he was exonerated, he knows what happened, and he moved on in life. Yeah. But I guess they wanted to have more of that grit still Mm -hmm. attached. Now- Here's who's set to play him and who's behind the show. Uh-huh. John Berthel will play Jillian Kay. Now, this guy's great. I really love this actor. He was in The Walking Dead. He was in Sicario. He was in The Punisher as oh, the lead. Yes, yes. He's a great actor. He's got a great look. Mm-hmm, I'm yeah. a big fan. And then Gretchen Mole will play Michelle. And I think she's fantastic as well. She was wonderful in Boardwalk Empire, Rounders, great actress. And that'll be interesting. And then David Hollander is the showrunner, and he created Ray Donovan, which I love Ray Mm. Donovan. So it's in good hands. And so it's a modern day tale, but picking up after where things left off. So we'll see what happens. I mean, this all sounds great. And I was a big fan of Walking Dead, but I don't know. I kind of think if you're going to go to later years, like, oh, now we're years later, hey, just make it present day and cast Richard Gere again. Why not? I wonder if Richard Gere would touch the role again. Yeah, I don't know. I like my idea better, but hey, I'll just see how this pans out. Oh, no. I'm a big fan of the prequel idea for sure. You know, movies just start, and unless you follow somebody up from their childhood in the movie, all of a sudden they're an adult, and you don't know where the hell they came from, why they're doing what they do, how he got into that industry, how he met Anne. You don't know any of this. So, no, I do like the idea of a prequel. I would prefer that myself. This sounds great. I'll give it a watch, especially coming off Let's Talk Movies, American Gigolo. Absolutely, I'll give it a watch. But yeah, I definitely am on board with you. I would prefer an actual prequel. Just think of all the great scenes that we would have. We'd see Julian go on different dates and without this murder hanging over his head. We could kind of experience his life through his eyes. I mean, I think that would be an incredible show, let alone a movie, a great show. Yeah. Episodic and highs and lows of mm-hmm. of a season of Jillian, and maybe he grows this way and starts to do only these types of tricks, but then just the world and access he has at his fingertips. I mean, sure. in this movie, he's you know rubbing elbows with socialites and doing this, that, and the other, but we just get to have more of that without this doom looming over him, and without yeah. him trying to find true love right away. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to go on a journey and be a gigolo with him for a yeah. while. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love show. to see also, I'd love to see a young Leon. That would be interesting. Oh, yeah. He'd have to come and go. Yeah. See know? where he meets Leon originally. Although we'd know never to trust him. We'd know that right away. Yeah. And we would learn more about Leon's character. Or, you know what? A very popular thing is to have sympathy for the bad guys. So, we would, I think by the time we got to the oh, actual yeah. pivotal moments of American Gigolo, where we see what a slime ball Leon is, we let him off the hook a little bit because he maybe had a rough childhood, you know? Okay. Like Crease, yeah. Martin Cove, <laughs> and the Cobra guy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We he's probably a Vietnam vet and has been through a lot of trauma. So we, you know, give him 10% leeway. Well, that is it, my friend. Thank you for joining me on episode nine of Let's Talk Movies, American Gigolo from 1980. That leaves one left for season one. And I'm super excited. That's not too far away. So 
Thank you so much for listening, and please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Let's Talk Movies, or check out our other shows at JustCuriousMedia.com. So without further ado, please enjoy American Gigolo. <laughs> 